Again, to Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. I'm one of your co-hosts, Philip, from the state of New Hampshire in the U.S. of A., and with me in the state of New York. Hi, this is Mike. Hi, how's it going, sir? I'm fine, Phil. How are you? Good, good. And in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Hey, this is Barrett. Barrett, how's it going? Good. How are you? Excellent. Good, good. And in the state of Missouri. Good evening. This is Kevin. Kevin, how's it going? Doing all right. Glad to be here. Good, good. Uh, We usually have a few other co-hosts and such, uh, uh, specifically Eric, uh, who unfortunately uh, is sick due to food poisoning. So he has to stay near uh, a bathroom for numerous reasons. So uh, he will not be joining us. Bathrooms tend to have good acoustics, so I don't see what the problem is. Well, he said he couldn't be in front of a microphone, is what what he said. So take for what, what you want. Right, because that. he talks out his ass all the time. That's the problem. Oh, there are some acoustics I just don't want to oh. hear, too. But um, <laughs> there you go. There you go. So uh, for folks who have stumbled upon us, uh, who we are, um, we are Dark Discussions Podcast, which is a genre podcast that basically discusses uh various types of films such as horror sci-fi fantasy thrillers techno thrillers mysteries grindhouse art house uh foreign films drive-in cult films midnight movies and whatnot uh basically we try to talk intelligently about a genre that deserves intelligence uh we are a website too darkdiscussions.com which has been around for well, the podcast has been around for ten and a half years and dark discussions news network is basically uh, the home of the podcast, along with all of the side podcasts that are there. And there's a good 10 to 15 or so that you can follow. Um, also, uh, we do have a Facebook group called Dark Discussions Podcast Facebook group. And we have an email, darkdiscussions at AOL.com, or just press the Contact Us uh, button on the website. And we also have a Patreon where you can donate to the podcast. The podcast is completely free. All the podcasts are free. We don't get any money. Everything is paid for out of pocket. So anything uh, that anybody would like to donate to the podcast would be a fantastic thing, uh, simply for the fact that uh, we do have uh, a lot of bills, including um, services to hold the podcast, to hold the website, and to keep the URL going, and so forth. Uh, but we do give a little back, and what happens is, is for every $5 that you do donate per month, uh, it's a monthly thing, uh, you get to choose a movie for us to uh, review. Uh, basically what happens is for all the people who do donate, uh, for every $5 that you do donate, you can choose a film. So if you donate $15, you could choose Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, or Scream, or you could choose Scream three times, because again, for every $5, you can uh, choose a film, or for 15 you could choose the same film three times. And then at the end of each quarter, we randomly pull out of a figurative hat uh, using a randomizer, a computer program to uh, pick the winner, and that winner will be uh, the movie that we will review. As long as you donate the $5, that film will always remain in 
the figurative hat. So uh, the more times you donate and the more times you pick a film, uh, the more chances the film will be pulled at the end of every quarter. Uh, the next polling will be uh, January 1st, or, or at least a, the first podcast in January. Uh, for folks who are curious, uh, such as our listener Pam, who uh, asked us to do this, uh, we are recording this on November 4th, 2021, because sometimes the episodes are not released uh, the very week that they're recorded. Sometimes it can be three or four weeks later. Uh, so that's pretty much uh, who we are and where you can find us and all that. If you do email us, we will read your email on the podcast and uh so things like your reviews on a film that you saw or opinions on what you uh heard from us or ideas for example uh please email us and we will read your email on the podcast all right so that pretty much is the the opening stuff and the house cleaning i guess we can uh talk about uh films and news that we've seen and whatever uh, if we have time but we'll do that at the end of the episode. And so at this point, uh, let's get into our topic tonight. And uh, Mike, what are we going to discuss tonight? We are going to discuss the 1984 David Lynch classic, Dune. Eh. I think you're no. making a little mistake there. No. Oh, we're, we're, go- we're going to watch the Dwayne The Rock Johnson video game movie, Doom. Eh. No. Okay. All right. So uh, let me try one more time. We're going to watch the modern version of the Frank Herbert film, Dune. Ding, 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 ding. There we go. Okay. And it was in there somewhere. My planet Arrakis is so beautiful when the sun is low. Rolling over the sands, you can see spice in the air. The outsiders ravage our lands in front of our eyes. Their cruelty to my people is all I've known. What's to become of our world? Oh. A boy. <laughs> Duncan, can I trust you with something? Yes, always, you know that. I've been having dreams about a girl on Arrakis. I don't know what it means. Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake. Hey, you. Put on some muscle? I did? No. We are House Atreides. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. Smile, Gurney. I am smiling. The Emperor asks us to bring peace to Arrakis. House Atreides, accept! I know you. There's only a way for you in my mind. You need to face your fears. Duke's son, he sees too much. He's 
is my dude. Kill them all. God in heaven. Get everything with guns off the ground! Go! This is an extermination. They're taking my family off one by one. Let's fight like demons. future of House Atreides. A great man doesn't seek to lead. He's called to it. But if your answer is no, you'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be. My son. If anything happens, will you protect Paul? Together, can we stand a chance? Uh, that's right. Uh, Dune twenty twenty one film uh, based off of. Uh, as Mike mentioned, uh, Frank Herbert's uh, original novel, uh, Dune. Uh, the film is directed by Denis Villeneuve. I some, uh, some French way to say it. I can't do it. It's, it's from Canada. Um, the screenplay is actually uh, written by some a noted, noted folk, uh, including uh, John Spates and Eric Roth, among uh, Denis Villeneuve as well. Exactly. Um, the film stars a uh, number of uh, uh, folks, including uh, Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Kaskazga, Dave Bautista, um, Jason Momoa, Javier Baden, uh, among others. Oh, including uh, Zendaya as well. Um, the film was released... Uh, October 22nd, 2021 in the United States, where we're all located. And it uh, received both a theatrical release as well as a HBO Max release. So there's two options to see the film. Uh, the film is a Warner Brothers film uh, and legendary pictures, uh, part of the HBO, um, specifically Warner Brothers, part of the HBO uh, mega corporation that it is. Um, the film is getting fairly decent reviews, uh, about 80 something percent by Rotten Tomatoes, if that matters to you. And, uh, it is actually for folks who are curious, only half of the novel. Um, that's why it's called or been renamed, uh, Dune part one. Um, part two has been greenlit. Uh, so I guess we can get into uh, how we heard about this film and what we thought about it. And uh, Mike, let's start with you. It was Dune. Uh, not making a remake of Dune without getting attention. Um, so yeah, I, I went to see this this past weekend. Uh, my wife and I caught it in IMAX. Um, 
I remember when the David Lynch film came out it was 1984 and I read the, the book around the same time. Um, uh, pretty sure I read the book after the movie came out. Uh, haven't really looked at it much. I've watched the movie since I haven't read the book again, since I know some people on this podcast are huge fans and will be able to clarify a lot <clears throat> of what, uh, how this compares to the book, but yeah, this is, this is basically Dune. Um, I'm not going to say necessarily whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. It is a decent adaptation. It's a little weird. I do think in a lot of ways it's better than the, uh, uh, the 1984 film. The only problem is that it stops in a weird place to me. I mean, it makes sense, but as a emotionally satisfying end to the narrative for the first part of a film, it just doesn't quite feel complete. Um, basically it's adapting the same material as the first hour of the David Lynch film or about hour and 10 minutes. Uh, a lot of what's there is there, but it really does feel like an incomplete story more so than, than say, you know, it chapter one did. Um, if you like Dune, I would certainly recommend it. I think there's a lot to like and admire about the film, but I feel like I kind of have to give it an incomplete grade until I see how the rest of it plays out. All right. Sounds good. Um, yeah, for me, um, yeah, yeah, I pretty much heard about it pretty much, I guess, like you, Mike, it's Dune. Um, if you hear that they're going to remake it, it's going to get some sort of press and, and it did. And it also was part of the, uh, HBO releasing all their films, uh, to home theater. And this one was one of the few that was up in the air, because it was part of the legendary picture production. And so there was where they were going to be able to do it without uh, getting sued by legendary and all this other stuff. And appears that uh, putting stuff out home release is actually working for a lot of companies now. So uh, they're doing it. Um, so that's how I heard about the film. Um, I'm pretty much where Mike is. Um, I haven't read the book since the nineties, maybe not the nineties. Uh, yeah. The nineties, the 2000 and, I can't remember. It, it, it's been maybe, maybe actually, to be honest, it may have been just ten years. But either way, it's been a while. Uh, the book was pretty good, pretty solid. It has a lot of um, things that explains obviously better than a movie could, um, because it is a book. Because um, there is a lot of setup to the quote unquote world. Uh, the book, I, I don't remember as much as say Watership Down or The Sound and the Fury or, or Catcher in the Rye or something like that, because those books. Uh, resonated with me much more than Dune did, um, but um, it was a good book. Um, the the movie, as the, yeah, the ending was 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 pretty pretty unfortunate where it ended because it like Mike mentioned, uh, it was well made, it was interesting, the characters were were good. Um, oddly, um, I th I think the Sci-Fi Network version miniseries with William Hurd and a few other folks, maybe a better interpretation because again, when you have a miniseries, um, you have more time to develop things and they developed a lot of the, the stuff I felt better, not saying it's a better production, but the, the understanding made it a little better. Um, I also felt the, the beginning of the film was, was the better part before the everything else uh everything else felt quick i felt but uh oh no yeah it was, it was solid uh let's go with you barrett um so i have read the book quite a few times 
and I read it before I watched this adaptation. Um, so that's going to color a lot of how I feel about this film. I also, there are things that I find superior in the Lynch version to this film, not production value though. I mean, this movie is majestic. It's beautiful. There's nothing you can say about that. The cinematography is amazing. The score is amazing. I feel that some narrative choices gave some, a lot of the characters like no depth. Um, And it kind of, didn't sell some of the plot points as well as it should have. Um, but otherwise, yes, it's, it's a fine adaptation. I just can't call it a great adaptation because I think that it does a disservice to many of the characters in, in the movie. Um, just not giving them enough time or giving some of the plots enough time. So that's my feelings. All right. Yeah, I would concur with that. Uh, characters were, were way better developed in the book, obviously, uh, as well as certain plot points. Uh, let's go with you, Kevin. Uh, well, I heard about this movie because I'm alive and <laughs> I never, never read the book, uh, any of the books. I have friends who have who uh, sing its praises, who absolutely love the books and. I just never had the time or the amount of interest to read it based on all the other things that I have on my reading list. Excuse me. Um, but I mean, I, it's funny. I mean, this, this movie was over two and a half hours. Uh, I saw it on HBO max because, uh, well, (laughs) I was, I had just gotten out of the hospital and that is why I was not here for last week's, uh, episode i was uh, in the hospital for a couple days so i uh was kind of relaxing and i wanted to watch the movie because i originally was planning on seeing it in the theaters uh you know support the theaters and see it on a nice big screen but i instead watched it on tv and that worked fine um i enjoyed the movie i saw the original well not the original the last uh the miniseries that you know you mentioned and i had fun watching that one so and I had a feeling that this was going to be well, I heard this was a part one or two. So I was kind of waiting for when they split it up, uh, reminding me a little bit of people's reactions when they first saw Lord of the Rings. And when the first movie ended, half the people in the theater said, that's it. Uh, you kind of knew who read the book and who didn't. All right. Anything else? That's all I got. It, Like I said, I enjoy the movie. Um, I probably will never read the book, so I'm going to come at this movie as a uh, as one who has never read the book. So we'll see how that okay. goes. I wanted to mention, Phil, I, I agree with you that the miniseries mini was the, probably the most faithful adaptation so far. Indeed. Yeah. I um I'll I'll admit I watched the miniseries. I do not remember a damn thing about the miniseries besides that it's it's Dune. Um, because it has been uh what fifteen years more since that came out. At least yeah, more. Like yeah, I yeah. think it was like around two thousand three or four, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I mean, I, I again, well, there's there's always that debate over. You know, the, uh, adapting a film, a book into a film, and you know, books have a lot of luxury, and uh, in, in that films don't. Films have to get in, tell their story, get out. Where books can you, the the reader has the opportunity to pick it up and put it down where they want, so they can go off into more depth and more detail. And um, 
I think this is. I think this Dune works. It's as self-contained as it's going to be. If you have questions about why this or why that, then the book can go fill you in on that. But none of it is really essential to following the story on the screen. So I don't know that they really missed a lot there. I do agree that there are certain things. Um, the uh, the Fremen servant, for example where they have a big scene introducing the character, and then the next thing you know, the character dies. And makes you wonder why they bothered introducing a character in the first place. Right, right. Um, because then that whole scene could have been excised out of a two-hour and 30-minute, two-hour, 45-minute movie. Um, every little bit helps, right? Um, I don't think they did a whole lot with the Harkonnens. Maybe that's just in my memory. No, I agree with you. No, I, I agree 100% with you there. And, and now the Harkonnens are nominally the, the big bad of the, the film. Uh, I mean, you also have the, the Emperor, and who's the one who kind of sets everything in motion to begin with. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, there's also, there's little things like that, but it really just feels like, you know, this is a, a part of a TV series, and they just kind of stopped at a point, like a chapter in a book. Like, oh, here's a good place to stop the chapter here. And we're going to pick up reading it tomorrow night and, you know, for a bedtime story. But you're just going to have to wait three years to get to that. And it just feels because it's not like Lord of the Rings, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, I get that. It's what it ends there. But they do have like a big culminating battle at the end of Fellowship of the, of the Ring. Mm-hmm. They have an a orc villain that gets defeated and you go, yeah, OK, we got we got that. You do get some emotional payoff from it that, you know, and then they're leading to bigger and better things where here it's just sort of, and we're going to go wander into the desert. That's like, uh. well, I'll tell you one of the narrative decisions that I like in the David Lynch one better than this is in, in David Lynch's, like in the book, he has the character's thoughts come out speaking. So you get to know their characters a little better and it it's a big thing in the book. You get that a lot in the book. And in here, you don't you don't you only get surface motivation because you don't get to hear those thoughts. You know, I just rewatched, and I've watched Dune many many times over the years. Yeah, um, me too. And I've just rewatched the. I only watched the first hour and fifteen minutes of Dune the night after I watched um, the night the same. So I went to see a matinee. Then I came home and I watched the first hour and fifteen of Dune because that's basically where the new movie ends. Yep. So I didn't want to go any further than that, just so I had a better baseline kind of comparison. I got to tell you, I paid attention to the, 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 the voiceovers more than I probably ever have in terms of like what was said and what, and a lot of it really was pointless to be honest with you. You know, it's, Oh, he's upset about something. Yeah. We can tell by the actor and the look on his face, the actor is upset. We don't, a lot of it's very unnecessary emotion, uh, at least in that part of the film. Uh, stuff it's telling us stuff that we we've already kind of been told or just reactions. Um, there's only a couple of them that really f- feel like was necessary, and all of which probably could have been done more gracefully as dialogue. It feels like there's something they had to go back and add in later. Um, I will say that I always appreciate good scenery chewing. There's a lot of good scenery chewing in the Lynch film. There is say what you will about the production values. It is limited by the fact that it was made in 1984 that had yep. a lot of money thrown out in 1984. Um, I think a lot of the stuff still works. And I think the um, the actual art design in the film uh, 
is some fan, there's, there's some fantastic stuff. Well, and the um, Harkonnens yeah. actually feel bad. I mean, in this, they kind of felt meh to me. Whereas in that movie that I didn't, <laughs> they were kind of gross and just yucky. And oh yeah. Dangerous. Well, Lynch, Lynch totally lynches them up. Yeah. Um, you know, making the Baron like all pussy and he's got this weird, like there's a scene where the, the servant comes in and he like is glar- glaring at the servant boy. Like he wants to sodomize him, uh, yeah. before he just, uh, you know, grabs him and pulls out his heart plug. Um, yeah. So there, there's all sorts of weird little things. There's a moment here when you get this, um, pet that I don't think is actually in anything. I looked it up, uh, that I thought was creepy. And depending on what it is, I could, maybe go to that decadence thing, depending on whether it was a, a genetically modified person or creature or an alien. I have no idea what it was. You know what I'm talking about? There was that thing in the, with the Baron that in the Lynch. No, in the new one, in the new one. Um, I know what that you're was, talking about, but it was just weird. It was just bizarre. And I really yeah. don't know how it plays in. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's stuff there. I think, listen, a lot of it was just, a little bit was overwritten, but I still enjoyed it. And given that how much they had to yes. condense at that time, I thought it was, I still thought it was good. Um, I thought I for two it. and a half hours, they could have, they could have given a lot more characterization to more of the characters that only got like five minutes, like Piter. He's pretty major character in the books. And I know he dies pretty quickly, but <laughs> he doesn't get much in this film to do. Well, again, it's it's a matter of prioritizing, and I do wonder if there's going to be a super duper extended director's cut coming out on DVD. You know, there's he said stuff no. Like that. He already said no. There's no other okay. cut. All right. Um, but if there was, you know, I'd like to see it. But yeah, I mean, like Piter just gets yeah. totally nothing. Yeah, and, and Super Hawat gets nothing. And he was a good villain in, in the book. And who's the other one that you said get nothing? Super Hawat, which is, and he'll probably get more in the next book because he or in the next movie because he's not dead. But the right. um, the mentat, right, that's yeah, right. yeah, but yeah. I but I understand not spending a lot of time developing characters who aren't going to actually be in the movie a lot, right? If you you know if they're not going to yeah. be through the entire thing, uh, Piter yeah. dies with the gas attack. But really, yeah. this whole movie should be about the plot against Leto, which they should have been focusing on. But they focused on everything on Paul. And yeah. I think that does a disservice to all uh, of the uh, other characters by also, doing that. Also, there's a problem, I think, with with Paul. Um, first of all, Oscar Isaac is, is a, and, and, and Rebecca Ferguson, in my opinion, are, are better screen presences oh they were awesome well timothy chalamet i know he you know he was in an academy award nominated film like a year or two ago and whatever and stuff and and but but i i, I just don't see him as paul i mean it's I, I just don't see it i mean they made paul kind of weak in this like even his prescience and seeing the future he in the books he saw a much larger future but it seemed so personal in this movie like he would see the future and what was going to happen and all this stuff, but in this it was all like personal fighting and what was going to happen in the next second, and that didn't make it global enough for me. It didn't make it strong enough. 
Yeah, I, honestly, I, I wish Isaac Isaac was 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 playing Paul. <laughs> Me too. Paul's not supposed to be old, you know. Even no, I know. Lachlan was old for him, so I don't yeah. mind. He is supposed to be a boy, and he's yeah. supposed to be a boy. You know, so I, I think a lot of that for me is I want to see. And when you get to the second film, spoiler warning, and he becomes a leader of men, I want to see right. if that's something that is plausible. That sure. transformation. Yeah, it's right. not feeling that way in the first film. But he's also not supposed to be there, right? He's supposed to be his well, but first step, you, part of a larger. You feel, yeah, but you feel like he's he's more along the way by the time he gets in with the Fremen than cause, because he's starting to see the future and he knows the pathways he's going to have to take. Um, I just it doesn't feel that strong to me in this film. Uh, and honestly, I'm. I am never a big fan of like flash forwards and dream sequences and things like that to begin with. Yeah. And and dream sequences that portend the future, especially in films have always have the, the danger. And I felt like it now part of it's, of course I kind of know the story. Um, it felt like it here where it's like just showing too much of what's going to happen where I would have liked much shorter, tighter snippets or maybe more abstract snippets rather than stuff that looks like it was yes. footage from what's coming up because it's sort of like, is he, is he watching a trailer or is he? Right. It should or, have or been stuff having, that's going to happen far in the future. Like he sees where it's all going to go. Like he sees the end point. So they could have shown battles way in the future and not focused on anything that's going to be in these first two movies. And it would have felt stronger because those are his visions. Those are his strength. And they just weren't, they, it didn't pull me in what he was seeing. He was seeing his own little battle there with that guy, whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get into various things, uh, soon, um, including some of the casting and whatever, but, uh, before we do that, uh, Barrett, do we have a wiki? Wiki, wiki, wiki. Yes, we do. Uh, this is an interesting one. <laughs> uh, feature adaptation of Frank Herbert's science fiction novel about the son of a noble family entrusted with the protection of the most valuable asset and most vital element in the galaxy. All right. Yeah, I mean, doesn't uh, spoil, but it, it's technically right. Yeah, yeah it's technically right. Yep. Um, yeah, so for Folks who are familiar with the book, because when I went in blind when I read the book, because you know the book comes from uh, when uh, Robert Heinlein and Eisenhoff and all those folks were, were huge, uh, along with other other folks too that they were still doing. Bradbury uh, Clark, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was expecting this to be a hard science fiction, and I was shocked to find out that it was really uh, space opera, which which it really is. It's just space opera. So uh, for folks who are familiar with the book at least expect space opera do not ex expect hard science fiction so we're, we're not talking like x Men or, or, or and stuff like that we're talking like more like uh lord of the wings star wars that type of stuff um so that's just the first thing because again that that literally surprised me when, when i read the book um so we're not going to talk about like why aren't they dying from germs or, or why is the environment not killing them? You know, because again, this is space opera, so people can relax on that. Well, it's also uh, ten thousand years in the future, and like I said, there's there's terraforming. Yeah, they've done terraforming that human beings have been genetically bred for thousands of years um, for particular jobs and particular roles. 
so there's a lot of stuff. Like I said, there's a lot of stuff that's answered in the book. I mean, not enough to necessarily. There's always a debate whether you can have true science fiction, hard science fiction, if they start getting into psychic powers. Well, that's what I was going to say. We're, we're talking, um, and I know Barrett, ha, ha, you may you may have an issue with the term, but there's there's like a supernatural or fantasy element to this story compared, you know, like like the Force with Star Wars. You know, I mean, uh, rumors are is that George Lucas saw this in Dune, and, and that's where he got the idea for the Force. So, so there is things in the this story that do not fit in chemistry and biology and as we gene. know it yeah right right exactly so that, right they do I mean, have a huge breeding pattern that they've been creating and that's what this is really kind of about as well right 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 but but when you we when you talk about hard science fiction there usually isn't this type of stuff in it you know right as as an off and all those folks that they, they don't have that stuff it's all um, there's there's a magic and, spice there's a magic right. spice too i mean that's kind of yeah, exactly. Out there too, but yeah, yeah, exactly. So, 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 just a, a heads up on that. Um, so, uh, I, for folks who are new to the podcast, basically what we do is we talk about general things up front, and then eventually we'll throw up a spoiler alert, and then we'll talk about everything and anything uh, about the movie. Uh, so uh, you will be warned. Again, uh, the book is fairly old, so folks, a lot of folks who've probably saw the film may already have read the book. Um, and, uh, again, Kevin is being quiet because again, he's not as familiar with the source material, uh, as, as the other three of us. Uh, but, uh, I'm sure Kevin, you'll have a lot to say about the story itself and, and, and whatnot. Um, there's a lot of, e- I want to say there's a lot of ecological stuff in here too. Um, just yeah, the whole idea think- of the desert planet and how the worms fit into it and all that. <laughs> Well, and and there's a lot of religious elements to it, including, yes. uh, yep. you know, um, so, so it'll be curious to hear some of the things you have to say too, Kevin. Um, but before we get into the spoiler alert section, you know, we can continue talking about general stuff um, and casting and, and adaptation and comparing it to Lynch and whatever, whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah, what else did anybody want to say? Um, again, I, I, this is this Timothy Chalamet. I, again, I'm not really that familiar with the actor. I, I just know that he was in that controversial film about underage love and stuff from a few years ago that got some good reviews. Um, but, uh, I, I don't know if I'm a fan of, of him, to be honest. Uh, he, he didn't do really do anything for me personally. Um, but again, I, I'll give him, more chances in other films they come. I'm just hoping he's not one of these actors that Hollywood is just trying to say has to be a star, you know, like they were trying to do with, and Mike would concur with with this one, uh, Kirsten Stewart, for example. So um, we'll find out. Okay. I do have one question. Uh, What exactly, and I don't remember if this was explained in the, uh, in the movie or not, um, because I don't remember it. What did, how does spice help with travel? I mean, I know spice supposedly does stuff to people as they like consume it in, in different ways. But I mean, I, I I was wondering if it was like a kind of fuel or something. Um, so could somebody please explain that for me? Yeah, Mike, uh, explain that again. the, the, the spice expands the consciousness of the navigators, uh, the, the navigator guild, 
And but why don't they them. have why don't they have computers and, and science to do that? Uh, there was like a Terminator thing that they had. There was a, and they had a jihad against yeah. the computers. Right, the <laughs> Butlerian Jihad, I think is what it was called. Yep. Um and and so they have vowed uh sort of like the the rebooted Battlestar Galactica where Adama does not allow network computers on his ship. They do not allow advanced AI or uh, computers in that world, so it's up to humans to do everything, and that's why they've they've bred humans to be like the Mentats and you know as yep. the advisors. Um, and the the navigators use the spice to open up their mind that allows them to to navigate the uh, hyperspace uh, dimension or however that works. Um, they basically allows them to trip between worlds pretty much every major force in the galaxy utilizes it in some way like the sisterhood utilizes it for them to become full sisters and things like that to open up their consciousness it's their MacGuffin. yeah that's true yeah but 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 either way it's the most uh valuable um substance in the universe also because you don't you age less when you use it as well so you live longer Oh, that's cool. Um, so, you, uh, Barrett, you were mentioning uh, offline uh, a little while ago that um, you felt the character, the actor that played Paul, or if it was written that way, uh, he was too stoic for what we know of in the book. It felt that way to me. He felt just a little too emotionless almost. Um, and I guess stoic would be the way I would I'd put that in the kindest way, I guess. Um, I don't know if it's the actor or if the, how they wanted him portrayed, um, but I just didn't feel like he had enough emotion. Yeah, so so that's that's what I was thinking. Is that I don't I don't know. I, I haven't seen Timothy Chalamet enough, but I'm I'm hoping that he's not. And I think Mike, you you would concur. Uh, like they do with they say about Christians, do it where. Hollywood seems to like just want to choose certain people to be stars, even if the audience doesn't oh, agree. One of the big ones was whoever that guy was that uh, was name blanks. I'm blanking on now. The the lead actor in um, Avatar. Oh, uh, Sam Worthington is it? Sam Worthington. Yeah, he he felt like oh he's the next guy, and it was just like yeah, I don't yeah. think so. Yeah, no, he just he doesn't. It didn't have like the the charm, you know that. Um, you know, say a Harrison Ford did, or even a Chris Pratt, or he just didn't click. You know, I'm sure he's fine, but in this case, I don't know if he's. I have no idea what was going on with with uh, the director. I've liked a lot of what the director has done. I don't know what, if any, compromises or sexual acts he had to perform in order to be able to put Dune on the big screen. I kind of get the sense, though, that he's one of these guys that. Because everything he does, whether it's a box office hit or not, gets a lot of critical acclaim that they probably gave him a lot of creative control and he would not have cast this kid if he didn't fit what his vision of Paul was. And certainly is a a thing. It's not like he's got such a big name that he's going to drive people to the turnstiles. And I definitely read articles where he said that this movie, these two movies, he wanted to focus on Paul. Um, that was his narrative choice. Well, and, and that's the thing is that, you know, he, this guy's worked with, uh, this director and I think 
it's the same director, uh, has worked with Taylor Swift's ex numerous times, Jake Gyllenhaal. And so I think he would have probably chose someone like Jake Gyllenhaal for this role if Jake was, you know, 20 years younger. But yeah, for some reason, I guess this guy um, is the guy that he must like, because I think you may be right, Mike, where it was his decision and not necessarily the producer's decisions to, uh, you know, um, choose Timothy Chalamet. And again, I, I don't know enough about him, but I, I, I can say that I wasn't necessarily thrilled with the casting. Well, I mean, and Dune really is his story. Um, it is. More than, I agree with you. More than anything I else. Agree with you. He, is, he is Luke Skywalker. Now, which I understand, by the way, before someone, some, somebody complains, I understand Dune came first. And, you know, the, the, the Messiah on the desert planet, Lucas is with, in the universe where they have spice mines, Lucas is certainly lifting things from Dune, if not outright ripping it off. But, just popular culture reference. Luke starts out as a hyper emotional kid, right, and becomes more stoic by the time you get to Return of the Jedi. Yep. I am wondering if they're going to do sort of a, a the reverse of that arc here, as he goes from the the formality of the palace and the proper upbringing, proper training, and Jessica training him to be the the chosen one as he gets involved with the desert people, the tribal people that might be the, the you know, that are more commoners and might be more in touch with their feelings and their emotions. You if might you might right. see him open yeah. up a little bit more. Yeah. You but, might be right. That might be exactly what they're going for. It just doesn't fit for me. And that's fine. That's and, and that's, and that's, that's an interpretation. Bad. I'm not yeah. good or bad. I'll take it as it comes. I'll see how but, it plays out. Um, and the problem I have with where the story goes is that to me, it really is his story just beginning because he is still kind of trapped in his life as not the prince, but. And he's young. So and I he's young. I don't expect that quite a, a stoic person that fast. I expect him to be strong, but. Yeah, I just he seems a little emotionless and I don't feel I don't know enough about Chalamet. I've not seen him in anything else. So I have no idea of his acting ability, but it feels more like that was what they wanted in the film than necessarily him. I mean, you can you can have I mean, it depends on how he's raised um because I mean, I'm thinking about like one of the first times we see him, I probably the first time we see him, he's he's having a breakfast with his mother. And he almost looks like he really just didn't want to be there. And maybe that's why he's so stoic is that he just I don't I, it doesn't sound like he wanted to be in the position that he's in, because I remember he was talking about this with his father later in the movie where he you know, where the father admitted, hey, I didn't want this job either. I wanted to be a pilot. And so maybe he's not kind of moping because he can't have his own way, but maybe he's just. You know, maybe a little, maybe he's stoic just because he kind of feels alone. Like, really, every he doesn't have many friends. His only real friend is, um, hang on, let me get tra his trainers. It is Duncan <laughs> Idaho. Duncan, Duncan and, and the other of his trainers. Well, even Gurney doesn't seem to be that friendly with them. 
you know, they kind of have a, a teacher-student relationship where Duncan, excuse me, Duncan is more, hey, man, how's it going? Good to see you. And that's when he is no longer stoic. He's actually, he actually, the, you know, Paul Atreides actually just lights up. He's like, hey, my friend, how you doing? You know, um, but I mean, when he sees his dad, when he sees his mom, I mean, it's it's almost like he's raised to be this way. And to not be that emotional. And so only it's like only Duncan is the one that really lets him be emotional. Because when we first meet Gurney, um, you know, he's like, well, I, I'm sorry, I'm not really in the mood to fight. You're never it doesn't matter. And he starts attacking him. Um, you know, I mean, this is this is kind of how he was raised. And so I can understand why the character would be stoic. Problem is, it does not make for a dynamic movie. When the main character that you're and, focused and on. That, that is certainly a valid point. That's the, and again, that goes back with the adaptation and, and, you know, and what makes sense versus what's entertaining. And yeah, it's, 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 it's not always an easy balance. And, you know, this is, and to me, if maybe we had seen his, how his whole arc plays out. That's one thing, but I'll also go and say like, um, you know, one of the reasons I couldn't get into Gone with the Wind is because Scarlett O'Hara, for whatever transformations occurs with the character later in the film, is just such an unlikable bitch for the beginning first, you know, seven hours <laughs> of the movie that I, that I just I just could not give a shit that she maybe gets a redemptive arc later on. Um you, you do have to give something for audiences to hook into. And I guess if some people find he's too withdrawn, too shallow, too, uh, you know, lacking in charisma or whatever it is, um, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, it's, yeah. It, Cause I the, think we can probably count on our fingers and two hands, at least the amount of time spent in the movie where he isn't stoic. Like when he runs up to Duncan and hugs him, you know, that is one scene definitely that sticks out for me. Well, when he runs up to him, and a lot of people love now the the word agency is is a is a buzzword, and that's another thing is he does not get a great deal of agency in the film. He is a piece in the in the movie, you know, kind of moved about. Yeah. Um, he's doing what mom tells him. He's doing what dad tells him. He has to do with his duties, his responsibilities. Um, you know, even when he has the opportunity to go out and help rescue people. Uh, because of the worm, he really is mostly a, a witness, and the only reason he gets to run out and help people get saved by the worm is because he was on the ship. He doesn't do anything other than his, his moment of inhaling spice and having a vision. He doesn't do anything any different than anybody else on the on the, the orthopter does either. Well, to be fair, he well, is a yeah. chess piece. He is being manipulated, and his arc is where he breaks free of that, right? Yeah, well, oh, absolutely. But also, though, I I don't know if if that that the problem I feel is that all the other characters that you guys have just mentioned, and I'll even you know, so so Duncan, Jessica, Leto, and I'll throw in Wellington and um, Javier Baden's character, Charlotte Rampling's character, all those characters. Oh, oh, Josh Brolin's character. They they all had more charisma than Paul. So. Whenever they focused on Paul, I was kind of more bored. While when they focused on the secondary characters, it was more exciting for me. I felt so. I, I don't know if. if but they're they're also, still... Go ahead. I was going to say they're also the characters who are the movers and shakers in this in in the first half of the film too. They're the characters with agency. 
I also felt like they had only surface depth for most of them as well. <laughs> it did. Yeah. They, you didn't really get into much of Jessica's personality, really. You didn't just get deep. I, I think the closest I got was Lita when he has his discussion with Paul about loving him. I felt like that was a pretty good moment. Um, but other than that, I just it, none of the scenes really like stuck with me made me feel like any of those characters were right amazing yeah, yeah. And well I, it, I and i look and you know you have some incredible actors in this film yeah. um you know you have um thanos um josh brolin playing uh not gurney. duncan gurney. gurney gurney you know you have uh skull skarsgård as the uh uh the Baron, as the Baron, uh, obviously, you know we mentioned uh, Oscar Isaac. But, so, so you got yes, some very but, good actors in these parts. And one thing about Dune, uh, <laughs> the movie we're talking about, one thing about Dune 1984 is those actors got a lot of scenery to chew. They sure did. Um, yeah. And you had, and you also had a great cast there. Obviously, Kyle MacLachlan headlining it. But also you had Dean Stockwell, you know, you had uh, Brad Dourif, um, you know, these were Karen Patrick, Patrick State, Stewart, uh, Patrick Stewart, yeah, uh, playing, yeah, playing Gurney, and they got a lot, and so even if they didn't have a lot to do, they 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 kind of hooked you, and um, and just the the, the weird ass makeup they used, where you had like the crazy eyebrows on the Mentats, and the lip stained. And the lipstick, yeah, they, they, those looks hooked you. The, the, the characters like hooked you on that. And you didn't get the same sort of weird makeup design and, and stuff here, which maybe, and I don't know, is going to be used closer to the descriptions in the book. But there are ways to hook viewers. One way is, of course, through just very colorful characters, but they can be colorful through personality, through action, and also, though, through appearance, right? That, you know, people can hook you that way. And, and when they're well done, they kind of get you in all three. And I don't know that a lot of that color was literally missing from this that was in the original. And maybe the original had a little bit too much color. Maybe the scenery got chewed a little bit too much. It did feel like that they had the all the acting lessons by William Shatner at the time. Because um, <laughs> uh, there was a lot of hamminess. Yeah. But... You know, like you said, okay, everybody, we're going to watch Star Trek two ten times. Just so you understand the level of emotion I want everybody at throughout the entire movie. <laughs> and here, everything is more formal, more reserved. It feels like a costume drama, right? Your your period piece of people in ballrooms and gowns and curtsying to royalty, because in part that is what this is. Um, it's just a futuristic costume drama. And that's why I felt like the majesticness was amazing. I mean, this film was just cinematography was just awesome. Like I can think of a scene where um, Jessica is in uh, like an orange outfit and everything else seems kind of gray and drab. And she's walking across in front of all the people, all the Fremen and off the ship. Uh, that scene was just awesome, I thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The look at look at the film is, is fantastic. Obviously, um, 
technology wise, it's really solid. And and I I, give credit to, I have to give credit to the um, the CGI. Um, it, it was it it was uh, incorporated quite well. It you know it wasn't like some of the older stuff like Sp- the Sam Raimi Spider Man's where you knew okay that's all CGI. Um, so. Um, all in all, yeah, the top technology, they, they put a lot of money into the film for sure. Those well, Ornithopters are real. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, this is not. This is me bitching about movies in general, uh, so uh, not specifically Dune. And I don't know if it's the fact that I'm too old or that it's just gotten too much. Um, but I don't quite – for all the stuff we do, and there are some amazing visuals in this. There's, it's a very lovely film to look at. I don't appreciate that anymore, that spectacle. And I don't know if it's because they don't present it the same way or if it's just I've got a near to it because I've seen it so much. And it was new. It was both. It was new to me back in, you know, 1984. And I was 13 or 14 first version of this film um, where like the first time I saw the sandworm had a whole lot more of an impact watching it at the local cinema six. than I did in, you know, watching this sandworm appear in, you know, in IMAX and, you know, because we've opened it, but visuals, fantastic visuals have kind of become expected at this point. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. So every model everything looks has gorgeous. That, right? yeah. I actually didn't think they showed the worms enough. No, they did not. I think, that, <laughs> no, I, think that was a, I think that was a huge mistake because yeah, they kept the it under the earth. That's what everybody rem- remembers, you know, with, with about, Dune, the original movie. I mean, the the worms and and yeah, that for some reason, unless they're going to do it in the the next film, but for some reason, this film they they didn't they didn't you know use it enough. I, I agree, Barrett. I, I think that was a very major disappointment. Yeah, I mean, they they give you a hint of the worm writing. Yeah, at the very um, end. and I so like I don't even know why they did that because they just I don't showed either. enough. To to ruin the surprise of them doing yes. it, and not the surprise, the reveal of them doing it later, but not enough that you get that awesome satisfaction of seeing at least one really good worm scene when the right. worm and and I did not find the worm reveal as impactful this time as I would have as I had back then. And you do have the worm sort of rear up behind Paul and and Jessica as they hit the rocky area. And it's, I think it's meant to be the big reveal. And I understand them, them saving that where the uh, first film did it with the, not the sand crawler, but, you know, the spice miner thing. Right. Um, when that gets swallowed here, that the worm more, more or less stays underground, underground. As, it, yeah. as it, as it absorbs it. And so it feels like it's a yeah, kind of a, a wasted opportunity to really not do more with them, but it's also, there's not more to do with them in this part of the story which gets back right. to why was it this part of the story they chose to end and i understand why they chose to do it with this part of the story and it's because it is a natural break you have it, it really is a natural break in the story it makes perfect sense to stop there i just find it emotionally unsatisfying very emotionally unsatisfying yeah 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 and i, I mean, think that's why overall i can't call it a great movie because it ends unsatisfactorily for me and all the way through it i'm not pulled to paul right because if he's going to be the focus then i should be like i want to be paul 
I didn't feel that. Well, at all. well, 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 and that and that's the thing is that you know, Mike, you brought up uh, um, uh, what the hell was it called? Uh, Star Wars, the first Star Wars, A New Hope, and Luke Skywalker, and and you know, I'll, I'll throw out um, the first Lord of the Wings r- rings where where you have Aragon and, and Boromir and whatever. Um, those, those characters, you know, they. And Luke Skywalker, you know, no matter what Mark Hamill ever did after Star Wars, that that role, he was amazing, and and and, and people want, well, yeah, it was like I want to be Luke Skywalker, I, you know, he had charisma, he this, he that, you know, and for some reason, yeah, I'm kind of here there with you, Barrett, and that's why I'm keep on saying is, is it the actor, or was it the the script, or what? But well, uh, I think again, Lord of the Rings, that's the first book they adapted. Right. They didn't yeah. adapt the first third of the book or first right. half of the book. So yeah. this is an incomplete story because it is literally an, an incomplete story. And some books can work that way. But this feels like, well, what if they had stopped Jurassic Park right when the power goes down? Right. Right. But I'm not even like, I'm not even talking about that, though, Mike. I'm talking about Paul. Oh, I understand that, but but again, the Paul character has no emotional arc. We haven't gotten anywhere. Luke is still, they stop him. They stop him at the point that Luke walks into the cantina or gets on the Millennium Falcon. Luke hasn't done anything yet to be an exciting character. Yeah, that's true. But Luke did have better music. (laughs) No, I think the music here was good, but it's just, it's just, it's just the the music is just not the same. Right. I have to bring something up about WB. I cannot believe they didn't just do both parts together and saved money on the filming. And instead they well, waited to see how it was going to do when they well, knew they that it wasn't a complete thing. That's what, and what put it out. There. With, well, that's why they did it. They did that with it as well. So right. I think that's the new thing I, it, that if they're going to not put any money until they're sure now, well, I'd also say, let's remember that, was that Warner Brothers that sunk a bunch of money into Blade Runner 2049 and it yeah. bombed? Pretty sure. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, so exactly. I think they recognize they have the rights to a property. They have the rights to a potentially very hot property. And um, there could be a lot of money to be made. But I don't think they want to sink all that money. And let's be honest, I'm pretty sure the second half is going to be the more expensive half. Um, I don't think they wanted to sink all that money into something that they hadn't proven yet. And I also don't think it's that bad an idea because Chalamet will be older, right? He will get a chance to mature a bit and grow up a bit. Right. Yeah. He's 25 right now. So he He looks like he's five. Yeah, no, it's 25. <laughs> That's just because we're getting old. <laughs> yeah, 20, no, Everybody does, looks like they're 18 or 16 now. <laughs> I thought he was. I thought he was like. Yeah, I, I I thought he looked more like 16, eight, uh, well, 18, no, what 18, he, 18, 20. What he, yeah. But what he really, what he really is, is he's he's a horror horror actor. In other words, you know, he pl- he plays a, a high schooler and he's really 25. Right. You know, he's like Michael he, J. Fox. You yeah. Know, who's 20 playing 15? Right. Right. Um, exactly. All right. So. So maybe he's not going to grow up the, very much then. Maybe he already is a real boy. Um, uh, or, you know, who knows? Maybe he goes on a on an exercise diet to bulk up, you know, or um, we'll see. Yeah. But I, I don't think, like I said, I think 
Um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that they did it that way. And uh, I saw you said the one article that was whining. It's like, they're doing the same thing they did with Snyder. It's like, well, no, they didn't do the same thing they did with Snyder. Snyder had, had you know, several films in a row that had been disappointing and had bad reviews and were turning off a lot of fans before they finally pulled the plug on it. Um, and that's why they didn't commit to all these things. You know, here... They, they're doing the same. They're doing something different. They're they're waiting to see before they commit to it. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, but it well, can't. I don't know if it's if it's a good <laughs> analogy though, because because once Snyder's film came out on VOD, the cut, and everybody loved it, then they they could have greenlit you know more stuff, even though they decided to go. No, because that would have been because that was a four and a half hour movie that had like another seventy million dollars worth of shooting that he was never going to get in the first place. So he wasn't going to get what he what he ended up getting in the theaters, regardless. And no, but I mean to go on with for part two or part three with Snyder. Yeah, I don't know that they, that would have happened. I think they completely lost faith in him by that point. Um, regardless, I. I don't it's think funny that that shows the variability of the the people the fans because that you know people seem to love that Snyder cut so yeah well and, they, and then they love Army of the Dead right that was that was loved by almost everybody you know not not maybe us yeah but, but there is there is there is a very unhealthy segment of that fan base um, that has this weird devotion to Snyder's films that's kind of bizarre and almost cultish. Um, I like his stuff, but I don't know. No, I like his stuff, but you're I don't not, know that I'm a cult member. But, right, but you're like not deliberately stuff. going and review bombing things, you know, because right. you don't like how Warner Brothers is handling something, you know, uh, where they, they were like turning on Zack Snyder because he said he nice things about one of the upcoming DC movies that were not part of his Snyderverse thing. So they even turned on their their own profit. It was just a weird, yeah. weird stuff. Um, but so I don't think it's the same situation as that, which is uh, the reason I mentioned folks is that he, uh, Barrett Sheridan article on the dark discussions, Facebook page, um, that was comparing the two. I just think that this is, it makes sense before we, we've seen a lot of stuff like, was it Aragorn? I think was one of them. And, well, uh, oh, yeah. all, the Ar- yeah, Aragorn movie Express. sucked compared to the book. Uh, yeah. Oh, and it was that the golden city. compass, right? Yeah, that was another compass. one. Yeah, and then what about that, that 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 city that that rolls across the moving cities? Border your... Legends, uh, Divergent yeah. was another one where I think yeah. was it Divergent or the main yeah, one? Right? Three started movies, out okay but, and then kind of petered yeah. out, and people lost yeah. interest halfway through. Yeah, b- both of them actually. Yeah. Divergent, so, yeah. I mean, with Dune, you could easily say, "All right, this was a flop," then then whatever, and it's oh, it's the Lion of Witch in the Wardrobe series. Yeah, that yeah. petered out. Yeah. Um. Well, that they one, they really just, they wandered too far away from the books, and they, uh, oh, yeah. I could rant about what they did with uh, the Narnia movies, but yeah, another time. Um, But I think also the Narnia films are kind of like Dune, that, yeah, they have their, their following, but it's mostly the first book. It's The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's Dune. You know, you don't get yep. as many people going, when are they going to make Children of Dune? Or when are they going to make Messiah of Dune? It's mostly right. Dune is what people like. And then the sequels, yeah. as with any book series, starts losing people along the way. Well, and um, Messiah is very short. It could be part of the first book, honestly. It's all well, but you, but you understand my the, point, right? It's, yes, yeah. Um... So yeah, so I, I, just, I just think it's just a weird way to break up this particular story because this is not a story that I feel 
easily lends itself to being broken up, but I can't think of a better place to have broken the story. Yeah, if you're going to break it up, they broke it up in about the only place you could. Um, but yeah, it, do, it definitely doesn't feel right. Right. Yeah, yeah, because once he goes to the desert, that's basically the second half of the the book, and that's the part of the book where he really is the main character. But it it doesn't work here. Well, so this I agree is with, with where Mike. I agree with you. Well, you know what this is. I, I don't know why I didn't see it sooner. This is ten, the Ten Commandments, right? Now, the Ten Commandments was, you know, the Cecil B. DeMille, Charlton Heston, 1954, whatever extravaganza, has oh. it has um, an intermission in the right, middle of the film. Minutes. Same with Lawrence of Arabia. As a four the same as Lawrence of Arabia, which what they used to do, right, which yep. they used to do all the time. They used oh, to take Bridge of the River Quarter when they yep. did these three-hour movies. Where does... The if I remember correctly, where does the intermission come for Ten Commandments? Isn't it like come when he goes and gets cast out into the desert? Right, and when Lawrence Arabia so, is yeah. where where Claude Rains and General Allenby are, are talking about how they're going to use Lawrence. Right, and and it was an interesting scene, and then they go to the break, and then when they come back, Lawrence is is bombing a train. So yeah, I yeah. I just don't think anybody walks out of Ten Commandments going, well, that was kind of okay. You know, like like, I, like if, if they cut it off there and then made you come back three years later for the part where he returns from the desert to depose the pharaoh. That's the part people want to see. Right. You weren't as interested in the, you know, the Moses being, you know, the, the chosen of Ramses or whatever, you know. Um, so – yeah, it's that's the that's the stuff that's interesting. That's the part we want to get to the Death Star, and they just cut it off before we got to the Death Star. And he's Makes kind of a Moses better. character, really, when you get down to it. <laughs> yeah, in a way, I was yeah. thinking just that when uh, when Mike started mentioning Ten Commandments, it's like you know he kind of reminds me a bit like a Moses story. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of it's archetypes, and and obviously, it's it's really hard to be a member of Western civilization um, and not have some awareness of these, uh, you know, biblical stories, and you know, then they are all tying into very primal myths and stories and legends, and certain things do, you know, come up again and again and again. Um, and certainly the idea of somebody, the exiled prince who returns is a thing we've seen on in several places. Now, whether Moses, I don't know if Moses was the first one or not, that is far from my field of expertise, but it's not the, but it's not the only one that's out there and it's all there. It's a basic story trope at this point. Well, and in this time period, in this movie, all the religions have been kind of mixed together. So you've kind of got all those prehistory myths. So, yeah, I've actually got it on the background right now. And, yeah, there, there, there is some – it's just a beautiful film to look at. I will say that. Yeah, it is. <laughs> now, Kevin, what did you see about religion in the film? Well, I mean, it was obvious that there was a, a bit of a – well, if I can use the word term – messianic um, theme to it. Because, I mean, they were all chanting that, uh, you know, they were chanting a couple names and um, 
people were wondering, you know, is is Paul, you know, this chosen one? And as they they landed on the planet, the the natives that were there were starting to chant the. I can't remember what the name was, but um, it's the Nile Gaib. Yeah, that one. Uh, I can't repeat that one. Um, but just uh, as they were coming in, you know, everybody's chanting this the same name. It's almost like like they're saying, "Oh, Messiah, Messiah." I mean, from our from our standpoint, it's like Messiah, 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 and uh, and so they kind of have. And for some reason, they had this idea that Paul was this even before he he came in, before anybody really knew much about him. So I was kind of curious about, I thought that was kind of curious. Um, yeah, they don't really explain it very well, but um, so the sisterhood in the books sends the, their people out and they plant all these messianic prophecies all over the place as a way of um, trying to exert control at some later date. Right, okay. sort of how in um, in Judaism, you know, there was the, the story of the Messiah was around for a long time. And then, you know, at, there was there were some competing people for the title uh, around the time of, of Jesus of Nazareth. And of course, obviously, not everyone buys into Jesus being the Messiah. And there are those who are saying they're still waiting for the Messiah, but they're there. And so the, the sisters have seeded this idea of a Messiah that they are deliberately trying to breed through their genetic manipulation and Jessica, who was ordered to only have daughters, has a son in an attempt to jumpstart the issue. She's trying to have the Messiah as her son to make Paul the Messiah. Um, and the sisters make the comment, I think it's in this version of the film, um, that if it's not him, it'll be somebody else later on. So better not. Yeah, so. they said something like that. The thing with the thing with this one is. Um, well, I mean, in in Israel at the time of, of Jesus, people were were expecting the Messiah to be a conqueror, uh, to lead them to, in in a battle against Rome to kick Rome out to restore the the kingdoms of Israel. But uh, and that's kind of what it sounds like they're looking for in this movie. Um, so it was they're looking so, that was, with for that with giant sandworms. Yes, right. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean. Um, that was that was my point is that they are that's why this reminded me a little bit more uh, of Moses rather than Jesus because Moses was the one to lead you know lead the people out and lead people out of slavery and all that um where you know but i mean like i said back in the first century uh, the people of Israel were were hoping for a king um you know, descendant of David to be to be the king and not, uh, well, not a savior. Uh, so this is more of people expect uh, this in Dune. It seems like they're expecting more of the the conquering king uh, and definitely not not a, a, a suffering servant. Oh, they're they're not. I don't think in any way. Um, I don't think I, I might say. Uh, the Matrix, which I thought was very heavy-handed in some ways with its messianic mm. imagery, um, even though it also didn't really do, uh, you know, the servant sort of thing. It's um, they're touching on themes, 
but again, kind of more universal themes. They're making certainly allusions and parallels to a lot of religious texts, but I don't think they're trying to retell like the Christ story or the Moses story specifically. You oh, know, no, they're, they're parallel. Well, I think it was Garrett who said that they're kind of picking from different from different views, uh, world views. Um, Because, I mean, you can almost argue that there's elements of Muhammad in this. Oh, yeah. Uh, As he goes, Muhammad was Muhammad was a big time conqueror. Uh, You know, they didn't call him the Messiah, but they they called him, you know, the prophet. And so, you know, and he was a big time conqueror. Uh, So, I mean, you you see you have mixtures of Muhammad might be closer to him than Moses even. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, you, you can definitely make a good argument for that. Well, you know, if uh, Muhammad won't go to the worm, the worm will come to Muhammad. That's the truth. <laughs> Just need a thumper. Yes. <laughs> now, Actually, um, with the thumper and all that, it reminded me of the worms from uh, oh, Tremors. <laughs> yes. Yep. Oh, I'm. I am sure because I mean, it's funny because you know when I was fourteen, you know, uh, or thirteen, Dune came out, and then when it was like eighteen or nineteen, Tremors came out, and it felt like such a long time between those two movies when I was that age. <laughs> um, and now it's like so recent; it's kind of hard to like think that how did we not ever like just go, boy, that is a blatant Dune ripoff. Uh, you know, I half was. expected to see, you know, I mean, some of this part, I mean, I half expected to see Kevin Bacon look at one of the worms and go, well, F you. Something well, like that. That, that, that I will say, as much as I like this film, that would have made it better. <laughs> well, it definitely would have, yeah, definitely would have added a little bit more humor to it. If maybe Fred, <laughs> Fred Ward could have, could have played Gurney or something. Oh, that would have been awesome. Actually, yeah, he could have done that one pretty well. Gurney, which one was he again? Gurney, Gurney. Oh, uh, Gurney, Josh, 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 Josh Brolin. Brolin. Yeah, Josh yeah. Brolin, yeah, he would have been yeah. fine, yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny, because uh, in the books, uh, Gurney's kind of supposed to be bandy-legged and ugly. <laughs> and I would not say that Josh Brolin looks like that, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, Hollywood has a very weird definition of ugly. Yes, well, they I mean, do. They, like I said, they did the same thing with Patrick Stewart. Uh, you know, he's, he's definitely not bandy-legged. You know, and I'm sure there's a lot of women who find him very attractive. So, well, well, and, the guy that played Tufir Hawat would, would have been a better choice to play the ugly guy. Gurney. Well, Tufir was kind of. He doesn't look like he's really in shape. Shall that's we say? What I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. So um, I don't. Uh, maybe maybe uh, Ernest Borgnine. Well, but again, it's got to be someone who's <laughs> ugly but fit, right? And yep. right. Well, Borg uh, had, had and alive. <laughs> yeah, he's dead. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Right, I, Josh Rowland. I mean, Josh Brolin um, um, isn't an ugly guy, and he's more lanky than than you know, like like uh, Duncan, the guy that played Duncan. You know, who was like a powerhouse. So yep. it was a little, little odd choice. Uh, who's who's that guy that that wrestler that has been 
that's pretty popular now in acting. Um, the Rock? No, not The Rock. John not, Cena. Not, John Cena. Yeah, that's the guy. That's the guy. Cena. Yeah, yeah. He would have been a good choice for for Gurn. Well, I no, think he would have been a little too, too big. And he's, and he's a little too big. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, Josh Brolin's character, he, his character, you're right. He was one of the guys that they didn't, I didn't feel got enough in this he film. didn't. Yeah. Uh, well, again, you're, you're stripping the story down. What's his job? His job is to, yeah. is to facilitate Paul's story. And that's about it. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, that's and that's what he did. Um, and again, that was their narrative choice. I mean, that's what they right. chose to do, and I understand that. It just—it's what makes it not become a great film for me. And that's partly because I've read the book so many times, and probably watched the other movie so many times, and whatever. <laughs> right, and, and you're obviously a, a big fan of the source material, so yeah. And I won't yeah. say my expectations are ridiculous; aren't ridiculous. I mean, maybe I'm expecting too much, um, but. You know, it's just how I feel about it. Well, in fairness, um, you know, the original film has Patrick Stewart leading a charge, holding a sword in one hand and a pug in another. <laughs> and uh, and when and it's kind of hard to top that, right? I mean, why even try? Yeah, it's true. Right. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And I would never say to not see this movie. I think it's so beautiful, and it's still, I mean, a great movie. It's just not the greatest movie of all time for me. <laughs> and again, when I see the fifteen-hour cut, you know, when I have the, the when the, the rest of the story is there, I might feel different. And I don't, I, you know, I, I do kind of feel bad because we're talking. There's a lot. There is good stuff in here. I do think. Yeah. You know, by the way, I'll point out uh, when we review Blade Runner 2049 um, and Dave Bautista, after watching him in Guardians of the Galaxy, I couldn't really tell if he could actually act or not. It was just acting badly in a way that worked for the character. or he could, And he actually gave a good performance in the beginning of Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. And in this case, Jason Momoa. Now, we've, we've seen Jason Momoa as uh, Khal Drogo in Game of Thrones. And he's playing dude bro in... Aquaman, and I'm still wasn't really sure. Like, could he act? I think he gives a really good performance as Duncan in this. Now it I is agree. still he's still kind of within that range. But again, as a guy who's an action star, he only has to be within that range. Um, now maybe it takes a really good director to bring it out, and maybe that's uh, Villeneuve is is bringing it out in in them uh, successfully, which is why. I have to think part of the reason I think that the Chalamet is delivering what he's being asked to deliver. Right. Um, you know, I think Josh Brolin is really, really good in this. Uh, I think Iser, uh, uh, Oscar, uh, Oscar Isaacs is really good in it. Um, the actress who plays Jessica, um, there Ferguson. Ferguson, I think she's really good. I think the scene, the pain scene, the test, I think she's very good. Where she has to, uh, where you see her standing outside and you see, you know, she has to show all the pain and the emotion of going through her because she knows what her son is going through. Yeah, there's a lot of good actors and a lot of good acting in this movie as well. Yeah. 
I've pretty much stated the things that I, you know, just didn't appeal to me the way it was done, but it's a good movie. Right. And again, that's always the danger of being too close to the source material. It's why I never trust like when Stephen King says something about one of his adaptations, it's like you're, you're he's, it's like, you know, or they, they just included his favorite part of the story in it or um, yeah. they stuck as close to the script as necessary. And that isn't always going to get you the best thing. They just can't watch it in a way that makes them objective. And yeah. I know there's stuff that I that we've watched and we've reviewed. And I says like, I, I know that the source material too well, and it makes it really hard for me to step away from it. And that's why I said right up front, you know, I have read this book well over 10 times so that you know that that's colored all of my opinions are colored by that so yeah and it makes sense when, when you, you know you're that uh big of a fan of, of the source material so um let's see what else do we want to talk about is there anything else we want to bring up i mean it's really hard I, it's a two and a half hour movie but i really feel like you know it's more visual than it is um, the visual is stronger than the, the actual plot. <laughs> I hate to say it that way. It sounds bad, but I don't mean it ba- in a bad way. <laughs> I think the, like I said, I just little things. Like I think the, the box scene was handled well, directed well. I think the hunter killer scene with the little needle worked. I thought just getting the, the building, the universe worked really well. Like having yeah. everybody in, um, so in, in Lynch's Dune, Every there's the the force shields are kind of like something out of uh, you know something futuristic from the far off age of say the Nintendo sixty four or the PlayStation one, um, <laughs> as he's got these boxy animated or CGI. I have no idea how they did that uh, in nineteen eighty five. Um, waiting for the Arrow box set to arrive and listen to the commentary. Um, but it's a thing that was completely impractical to use throughout the film and that ex- but that explains so much of why isn't anybody using a gun 10,000 years in the future um and why are they using swords you know it's because slow blades get through bullet stone and here they just have the they everybody has a little shield you see duncan's got the little shield and he taps the shield to raise it um not duncan uh, actually duncan but uh, i'm at the uh you know atreides has the baron it. The Baron, Baron. uses it, and that's what saves him from the poison. Right, the Baron uses it. They all have it, right? They all yep. use it. They have a shield, and they use it, but it's done as a very subtle effect so that they don't have to have it constantly on. Um, there are times like where if you pay attention where there are guns firing those hunter-killer darts. Um, so it's there if you pay attention as to why the battles are going the way they're going. And I think you know, that scene where the, the where uh, the Duke gets put out and that needle moves slowly through it to hit him, I thought that was a really cool scene. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll also say I didn't feel, and like, this could be my age, it could be, I didn't feel for the doctor in quite the same way as I felt, you know, about nope. Dean Stockwell. Um, that's where a character didn't get enough it was just too surface level i thought yeah probably not you did get that scene with jessica and um and and the doctor uh in the lynch film where they talk about the wife where they talk about how he hates the harkonnens 
and you know she knows like oh he must have and she's like and that's one of the places where I don't think it was necessary but the voice at least gave you more than so oh he must have killed his wife you know okay right um so that develops that and you understand a little more why he did what he did it's still a dickish thing to do we're going to bring the whole house down so I could kill one person um I think the better revenge would have been letting the Atreides house win <laughs> that, that would have been to me the better revenge um but yeah, I think that was another case where I mean, it's also the actor. No offense to the actor, he's not Dean Stockwell. That's the truth. <laughs> the late great Dean Stockwell. Yeah, the late great Dean Stockwell. Yeah, he's yeah, he just died, right? Wasn't it just recently? Oh no, he's still alive, isn't he? I thought he was. I, I thought he passed away. Am I wrong? Let me, let me find out. Uh... Is this another? Uh, Ed it says, yeah, it's another Ed Asner. He's still living. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, yeah, he, but he's retired from acting. Yeah, he's 85. I got to, yeah, I actually had, like, to speak with him for about 20 minutes at a convention one time where, like, I paid to do, like, the dinner, and he was just standing off in the corner, and I was standing off in the corner with him, and nobody seemed to want to talk to him. <laughs> I was like, I'll talk to you. Uh, and that would have been around the time that Quantum Leap was on the air. So, that's, that's, cool. that's good. Good experience. Uh, let's see. Anything else that anybody want to talk about? Uh, oddly, yeah, I guess it's like you said, Barrett. It's it's more visual than than anything. Um, I, I mean, you know, because we're we're really just. I mean, you know, if we really wanted to go deep into the stuff behind the what Herbert was trying to say, we could, uh, again, though, that I would think it would be more related to the book than what we saw in, in the movie, because the movie doesn't really delve into it as, as deeply, obviously, because it's a, you know, a two hour or two and a half hour thing instead of, you know, 600 page book, but yeah. And I mean, the, the whole point of this first half is the, the betrayal and the plot against Leto. And I mean, there's, We've talked about a lot of the narrative beats of that, you know, and, you know, you can only say so much about it. <laughs> right. It's true. Uh, what about you, Kevin? Uh, you know, you're not familiar with the book, so was there anything that you wanted to bring up that, that we missed? Uh, no, not really. I've been actually just enjoying listening to you talk about it. So, uh, Sorry. Not, not much contributing tonight. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, all right. Um, so I guess, yeah, I guess we can wrap up the discussion of Dune 2021. Um, but before we give our final thoughts, I guess we can talk about, you know, what we have been watching and any news that anybody wanted to bring up. So uh, I guess we can start with you, Mike. Uh, anything that you wanted to bring up? Uh, nothing at the moment, no. All right. What about you, Barrett? Have you seen anything or any any news in the, in the genre world that you want to bring up? Anything? Uh, the Wheel of Time comes out in November nineteenth. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I read the, the series. What, 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 what is that? Um, it's a series of books written by Robert Jordan. Um, he died before That's it was finished. Right. Yeah, it's supposed to be as good as Game of Thrones. People were, used to say. Um, so the books, there's, 
there's over 12. There might be 13. I can't remember how many books, but he died before it was done. They got uh, Brandon Sanderson to write the rest of them. And he did a really good job finishing it up. There's some books in the middle of the series where Robert Jordan wasn't putting them out very fast. And they were kind of, it, it was a little too slow. <laughs> I, I'll not, say not George R. R. Martin slow though. Not George R. R. Martin slow, but like the narrative structure was kind of slowed down and nobody could tell where he was going with it. And it felt like it should have been done in a couple books. And he wrote four instead, four more instead, you know, um, but the books in general, the series is really good, and I'm looking forward to see what they do on Prime with it. Um, I'm hoping it's good. Uh, we'll see. Um, so that's one big thing I'm really looking forward to, and it's coming out Thanksgiving week, so that'll be fun. I'll have some time to watch that. Um, and then other than that, I haven't been watching a whole lot because I am taking part in uh, National Novel Writing Month, so I'm having to write every day um, to try and get my word count up. Uh, sounds good. Uh, what about you, uh, Kevin? Any uh, television, books, video games, TV genre stuff that you wanted to bring up? News? Uh, I mean, uh, around Halloween time, I was I found myself watching a lot of old uh, Hammer movies. Uh, anything from you know Frankenstein or in you know, the Frankenstein movies, uh, a lot of the Dracula movies. Uh, I think the last one I just recently saw was like Dracula 1972. Uh, and I, those were fun. They, they were fun. Um, you know, I, I definitely watched, uh, I wanted, I watched the first Halloween movie, uh, because I wanted to prepare for last week's episode that I couldn't make. Um, but I mean, as far as anything new, no, I haven't watched anything new. Let's see. I do have I, I have one of those Oculus uh, things, and there's there's some good good horror uh, things in there, but I don't have any of those games really. Resident so, Evil. It just came out on it. I know Resident oh, Evil is there, uh, but I mean, I. Far Cry, Far Cry Six. No, no, no. That not on not on Oculus. Um, oh, no. okay. They even have like a, an Exorcist one and i i haven't gotten in i haven't really tried any of those i've been kind of trying some fantasy star wars uh games uh a couple yeah mostly fantasy star wars and one uh kind of like a first person but like an actual like soldier like more modern day soldier and things like that so it's fun to watch movies on it too because it feels like you're in a th- theater yeah, I haven't I haven't watched it. I haven't watched anything in there yet. Actually, one of the things I did have was I do have is a a World War One fighter pilot game, and because it's all around you, I mean, if if you're not careful, I mean, there are a couple of times. I mean, I started getting dizzy. You know, yeah. Even, you know, and I'm just like, oh, I almost it's like, okay, close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes. You're not going anywhere. You're sitting on the couch playing this. So, so, so for folks who don't have any idea what that means, uh, why don't you explain Oculus, uh, what Oculus is? Yeah. Oculus is a, a virtual reality, uh, virtual reality uh, system. Uh, the headset with the two controllers, uh, one for each hand, and they have all sorts of different kinds of games for you know for you to play. Uh, now, granted, what it is is that you you 
you know you buy the you, you buy this the set and then pretty much you have to um you know you have to you have to buy the games along you know separately just like any other games but i mean they'll have anything from i mean there's one that eventually i want to get it's it's kind of like your uh what was the name of the oh, i forgot street fighter i think it was called street fighter it's uh you're controlling the the people as they're fighting the 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 gang the gangs and the thugs but in this way you're actually one of the characters like sir you know like first person fighting uh which looked like a lot of fun and then they also have driving games and it's a virtual reality set and they have a lot of different kinds of games uh that are pretty cool actually and no no money was exchanged in this this is not a paid advertisement <laughs> Gotcha. Uh, any other information, uh, info on Oculus or other things you've done or watched or whatever? No, no, I've I've been, I've just been busy doing all sorts of different things. Um, so now hopefully things are, are settled a little bit. I can probably play a, couple, a little bit more, but uh, and watch a few. But that's about it. All right. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, and I got nothing, so I have nothing to add. Um, all right, so, uh, before we get into our final thoughts on this movie here, uh, Mike, uh, it looks like next week we'll have to coordinate with Eric, because Eric got sick tonight, but, uh, we do, me, you, and Eric, uh, do another podcast, uh, that we just released the last episode, uh, A History of Violence. Uh, what, what is that podcast? That was uh, Cinema a la Carte, which is a spinoff podcast for Dark Discussions, where we discuss things that are not really horror-related, um, hopefully. And just pretty much picking whatever random movie we feel like covering, uh, such as A History of Violence was the most recent, and Flash Gordon before that, and uh, something stupid Eric wanted us to watch before that one. So um, we're going it's, to—it's Eric is up again, so we're going to watch another stupid Eric movie. Um, and what's going to happen is if you watch Eric movies, then eventually you get food poisoning because it's just cosmic justice. Fair enough. And, uh, Barrett, uh, there's another podcast that is a kind of a spinoff too. Yes. Halloween boutique psychotronic reviews. Uh, last week we did a kind of a promotional thing for, um, indie scream dot in dot live. Um, and it, it's a Halloween event for a bunch of horror movies. Um, I think there were like 64 or 54 on there. Um, you paid like twenty nine ninety nine if you wanted to watch them all, or you could go a la carte and watch specific movies. Um, and we, we talked to them and a bunch of the people that made movies for this event. Um, that was pretty interesting and we're going to be doing something, New soon, according to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we got to coordinate uh, sometime mid mid November, a little, or it was in the next ten days anyway, and we'll, we'll uh, work on that. Um, and that's pretty much all we got there. Uh, so I guess we can get into our final thoughts on this film here, Dune. Uh, so let's start with you, Mike. Yeah, I mean, there is so much to like about the film. I think, and I think a lot of it works really well. I think it, um, does a good job of fleshing out a, a lot of stuff from the story that was 
skimmed through in the 1984 version. If you have never read the book or have no interest in reading the book, um, and of course benefits from a lot of the advanced technology. But it just again feels like it's a, it's an incomplete story because it is an incomplete story. Even in and of itself, it is all just really setting up to where we should be going, and it feels really hard to review it as a result because we're really waiting for it. Is all set up, no payoff, and uh, the setup is great. Uh, and I don't know how I would have felt if I had been not walked in knowing that this was part one. Because they did not put that in the advertising campaign. The advertising campaign advertised as Dune, not Dune Part One. Mm-hmm. Um, now, thankfully, they do. Unlike it, where they put Chapter One at the right before the end credits, here they put Dune Chapter One in the opening credits. So if you didn't know walking in, you knew shortly thereafter. Uh, but yeah, uh, and they're, 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 again, I respect a lot. I like a lot, but incomplete. All right, sounds good. Uh, let's go with you, Barrett. Um, I liked the movie a lot. I thought it was the cin- cinematography was awesome. It was very majestic. Thought there was a lot of good acting, a lot of good scenes. Um, I felt like the plot and the characters didn't get enough. Um, there's just it's a little short for me. Um, but all in all, it's an enjoyable movie. I'd say go see it. Um, if you're a fan of Dune, it might not quite match your expectations, but it's still a really good movie. All right, sounds good. Uh, Kevin? Well, like I said, I've never read the book, so I kind of came into this you know, slightly blind. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie. Like they said, the cinematography was quite good. And, you know, even even the action parts were really good. I just it it did not feel like two and a half hours. I'll just say that. All right. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, for me. Um, yeah, I don't really have much more to add. Um, I'm pretty much on the same page as uh, everybody else. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's a good film. Uh, it's it's somewhat flawed. Uh, but all in all, uh, worth checking out for sure. Um, all right. So that is, uh, the film Dune 2021 directed by Dennis Villeneuve, uh, screenplay by John Spates, Eric Roth and Dennis Villeneuve. Uh, the film stars a number of people, as we mentioned, Timothy Chalamet, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, Isaac Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista, Zendaya, Charlotte Rampling, Jason Momoa, Javier Bardem. I mean, it's, uh, you know, go on and on. There's a lot, lot of um, big names there, character, actor, or otherwise. Um, and it's, uh, a lot of people probably wanted to be in the film, even if it was small roles. Um, so, a pretty good cast. Uh, films available to view as Mike said, um, at the theaters, such as IMAX and whatnot. Uh, but also it is available for those who prefer not to, uh, go to such public places, uh, or just prefer to watch it at home. You can watch it on HBO max. If you have HBO max. Uh, so, uh, once again, uh, film is Dune 2021. And with all that stated, Mike, why don't you lead us out? Thanks again for listening to the Dark Discussions podcast as we dissected the 
2021 version of Dune. Please join us again next week where we will be discussing something else. <laughs>